Welcome to the Professional Technical Interviewee. I'm Taylor Dorsett. In my six-year career in technical recruiting, I realized that just about every company does technical interviews differently. Many very good senior engineers do not do well in technical interviews, despite being great developers. The only way to get better at interviewing is to practice. Many early career engineers don't really know what a technical interview is like until they're in their first one. Our goal here is to change that and shed some light on the technical interview. My guest today is Jay Wingrow. He's the founder of Actualized Coding Bootcamp and a former software engineer and teacher. We talked through a number of helpful interview tips for early career engineers. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Jay. Uh, welcome to the, the show here. Um, how are you? I'm good. Excited to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Jay, we've known each other for, for quite a number of years, but I'll introduce you. Um, Jay is the founder and CEO of Actualized Coding Bootcamp, which is, if I remember correctly, the longest running bootcamp in Chicago. Um, and Jay also wrote a book, which I have here, The Common Sense Guide to Data Structures and Algorithms. Um, and before uh, starting Actualize, you're actually a developer yourself here in Chicago. I'm in a teacher before that. So uh, quite, the, quite the credentials. <laughs> For what I do now, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mentioned um, we, we've known each other for, for quite a while. I, I actually worked at Actualize um, a number of years ago in kind of the director of outcomes um, role, helping uh, students kind of land their first job. And then when I was learning to code, um, went through the program um, and, and learned from uh, Peter, who's one of the, the lead, I guess I call him lead instructor, but he's, I think, dean of students as well. Yeah, he is. He wears many hats, yeah. but he is the dean and a lead instructor. Yeah. Great. Um, well, can you share just a little bit about Actualize and kind of uh, the team there? Sure. Um, started Actualize in 2014. Actually, at the time, it was called Anyone Can Learn to Code. Mm -hmm. uh, we rebranded to Actualize a couple of years later. Um, started it just by me teaching um, people web development, software engineering. Uh, I wrote the curriculum and taught it. I went through a few cohorts. Um, teaching it, sort of refining the curriculum. And after about a year and a half of doing that, we started hiring lead instructors who would uh, teach the same curriculum, although they've already optimized it further to the point of where it's no longer recognizable to me, which is just fine. That's a good thing. Um, so we have a number of lead instructors. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we taught classes both on site here uh, in Chicago and the River North campus, uh, as well as online over Zoom. I say we, we've been doing Zoom before it was cool. Um, so since 2017, we've been doing the same class over Zoom as well. It's fully live. Uh, but now currently, all the classes are over Zoom. Uh, we do hope to restart um, the on-site classes when the time is right. Unknown when that is. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I think right when I was um, when I was moving into a different role outside of Actualize was when I think those online live classes had started. So it'd been been years yeah, 2017, in the making, right? 2017. Yeah, in addition to lead instructors, we also have uh, career support staff uh, who are dedicated to helping the students, the graduates, succeed at finding new roles as well. 
And then, then of course there's the, you know, admissions and marketing and stuff like that. It's a small team or a small uh, company. Yeah. But mighty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Well, I, I'm curious because I know it's probably been many years um, since you were in technical interviews yourself. Um, but I guess I, I'm also interested because I don't think I was ever really a part of hiring instructors there. I'm curious, what does interviews look like internally? Or have you done any technical interviews in, in uh, recent years? Yeah. So I did do sort of the standard technical interviews uh, back when I was a developer. Even though I wasn't the hiring manager per se, I was part of those interviews uh, as just sort of like a colleague developer kind of thing. Um, then uh, currently for, for hiring lead instructors, we do give a technical portion. Um, you know, primarily what we're looking for there is their ability to teach it. So we say, hey, here's this concept, make a short video lesson teaching it. So we're looking for not just their technical know-how, but also their uh, ability to clarify a concept ability to uh, express their enthusiasm and charisma. They're, those are all important. But I also have done, have given mock interviews, sort of the classic, what you call whiteboarding um, algorithm kind of interviews too. And those um, obviously are not for the sake of hiring, but uh, we offer that to grads. Uh, currently, I'm not doing the mock interviews, but I did it not too far in the past. And actually we'll be starting it up again as well. So definitely very into interviews and stuff. Yeah. The teaching um, push that you mentioned when you're interviewing internally, that's, that's something that um, I think stuck out to me about Actualize years ago was that everyone there, including yourself, right, has worked professionally as a teacher and then also a software developer, right, which was something yeah. that I felt was so unique because when I think of boot camps, I think I may be able to pick this information up on my own, but it might just take me a year, two years. Um, but going through a boot camp, we're really trying to accelerate that that timeline, right? And I think yeah. having someone who's actually a good teacher um, and who loves teaching at at, um, at their core is probably going to have much more success, right? Than just having someone who's a software developer who's going, uh, I'll try to teach thirty people at once, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Which that could lead to disaster. I mean, yeah, people will pick it up. It's it's not hard to hire a programmer, get them in front of the room and spew concepts, right? Um, but yeah, like you said, we we only hire lead instructors who have uh, experience in education as well, um, because exactly according you know what you're saying, which is uh, in order to teach people effectively and in a short amount of time. They need to be able to impart the concepts clearly, uh, succinctly, because there's a lot. We're cramming a lot of material in a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I can, <laughs> I can, as you uh, know, yeah. to that. Yeah. Uh, as far as evaluating, um, or what, what are you typically evaluating for, kind of looking for in technical interviews? I know you said internally there's a teaching aspect to it, right? But when you're doing mock interviews or even when you were interviewing um, for, for candidates in the past, um, when you were working as a developer, what are you looking for? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when we were looking for um, developers back when I was a developer, um, there's really sort of a distinction between like the early career devs versus those with more experience. You know, with the early career devs, the big thing that we're looking for is attitude. Um, if faced with a challenge, will they just stare at it blankly and not be able to, 
move forward in any way, or are they eager to tackle the problem? Like the problem may be beyond them. It may be beyond their capability, but are they eager to tackle it? Are they doggedly persistent and trying different angles? Like they may run into a total brick wall, but there's two different types of people. There are people who will run into that brick wall and then stare at the wall. Or there are people who are like, okay, let me backtrack and try a different angle and keep on trying different things because those people will succeed as developers. Um, you know, part of that is part of finding a different path is starting to engage me in a conversation, you know, ask for help, say, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, what do you think about this approach? You know, that that's totally fair in real life. A developer is going to ask for help. Even experienced devs have to ask others for help. And uh, also looking for, for humility because without humility, uh, someone's not going to grow, you know? Yeah. So looking for those things, I mean, that's, that's the uh, early career devs, you know, for more experience, we're looking for all those things too. But on top of that, looking to see their thought process, uh, the things that I call, so that actualize, we emphasize the four Ds. Um, three of those are relevant for here, decomposition, debugging, discovery. We want to see that they can decompose a problem, even if they can't nail this particular exercise we're throwing at them. Um, but can they break it down into smaller parts and sort of chew away at those? Um, debugging is the second D. Can they get unstuck? You know, it's connected to the running into the brick walls, like I said before. Can they see what's, you know, can they try a new angle? Can they get out of the uh, out of being stuck? And then yeah. The third is discovery. Can they learn new things? Do they want to learn new things? Are they willing to try new things? Um, sometimes someone who's a developer for a long time is tired of learning new things. And that's sort of a real Achilles heel. Yeah, I, I think it's something that I realized, um, or I really didn't realize when I was in recruiting um, until I uh, switched into engineering was just how much of the job is not knowing something and then having to go find that information somewhere right yeah. and that's just i think a foreign concept for a lot of people and especially if you think of engineering or at least even i worked very closely with software developers right i thought well these people just know how to do this right and i think really at the core some of the best developers are people who go oh i don't know how to do that but it'll be interesting to learn right Absolutely. and then they can go figure that out that's really the hallmark of a good developer i guess there's more than one hallmark but that is definitely one of the top ones ability yeah. to to or the wanting to learn the understanding you have to learn being willing to reach out for help and even the most senior people it's impossible to know everything it's impossible to know even one percent of everything there is to know there's so much yeah. to learn and that's why you have other people who can uh show you the way yeah and, and peter um who we mentioned earlier is one of the, the lead instructors that actualized he 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 phrased it interestingly um, when we were talking about uh, is debugging, right? Basically, you're running into an error. And he said, yeah. if every time you see the error, you go, God, and you're like, you're, <laughs> you're screaming into the air, right? Like, you're going to be frustrated constantly because that's what the job is, right? Like, so often yes. you're trying to work through um, errors and you, you don't really don't know the answer, right? Off the top of your head. He said, yeah. but it, instead, you can think of it like a, you're almost here a detective, right? Or you're like Sherlock and you're trying to figure out great interesting let's let's see if i can kind of peel off one piece of this right and maybe yeah. get one step further um, and that was hugely eye-opening to me and even now when i get frustrated um not even debugging maybe just in the early stages of, of building something i try to think 
okay, this is part of the process. Let's look at this as a learning and kind of an enjoyment thing because this is the job, right? Rather yeah. than just coding something and it works perfectly and you're done. Right? Yeah, I've never like analyzed it statistically, but I wouldn't be surprised if a developer's job, they spend more time in their day debugging than they do actually writing code. I mean, I think that's almost certainly true for, for most developers. Yeah. Which is why it's sort of a tangent. It's like uh, people like, you know, try to rig their keyboards and stuff and, and text editors so they can type the fastest, which is great. But like most of your, the bottleneck is not the typing. <laughs> your bottleneck, the, 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 your, your speed and effectiveness as a developer is not based on how fast you can type at all. Most of your time is thinking, getting unstuck mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as having a um, a standardized system um, to be able to actually evaluate people in similar ways, I know again, if you're doing mock interviews, you said kind of that there's um, three those three Ds that you walk through. Do you have any type of standard grading criteria or like feedback system that you're trying to work through that you can give people to say you know you need to improve more on X, Y, or Z? Yeah, and this will vary based on whether you know we're talking about the mock interviews versus let's say the interviews I did back as a developer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the mock interviews, we provide the grads with training on uh, a specific format, how I want them to do the mock interviews. Um, and maybe we'll touch on this later. Uh, I think you're going to ask me something about this. Um, but I have a very specific format of how I, I want them to approach it. And what we're looking for is their, not even so much their ability to solve a problem, as much as we're looking for how they stick to that framework. Um, like, well, again, we'll probably touch on it later, but like one of the biggest mistakes people do, let's say in a whiteboarding interview, is to start writing code like quickly, like immediately. Mm -hmm. um, like one of the things you have to do is really plan it out, plan out the, the algorithm. Um, again, I'll, we'll talk about it later probably, but making sure someone does that. If someone starts writing code right away, like I'm like, stop, hold everything. Um, let's, let's do more planning. So stuff like that, you know, with regards to, um, uh, you know, as a, as a developer interviewing people, there's a lot of different things we're looking for. I mean, one of the things is just like, am I willing, because a lot of what we did there wasn't so much whiteboarding, but pair programming. And in that case, like a lot of what we had in our heads, like this is what it's going to feel like to work with this person in real life. Do I want to do that long-term? Um, that's certainly part of it. Um, but, you know, looking for if they, I mean, a lot of these things, a lot of um, tech, I mean, one part of it, I don't know if you, you consider this a technical interview, but a big piece of it is just the conversation, asking yeah. them about what projects they've done in the past. I mean, it's not like purely technical, but but it can be very technical because if they're describing the technical aspects of the projects they've done, then we sort of dig into those. Show me what you've done. Um, I'd say like that's the most important thing is like getting a sense, at least for the more experienced devs, like what have you done? What projects can you show me? How did it work? What technologies did you use? What struggles, challenges did you run into? And from there, we get a sense of like what they're capable of. They can show us like, oh, I can do this. I built this. I built that. These are the things I can do. Doing like the pair programming or a whiteboarding interview to me is more like a sanity check, like just to make sure they're not just lying 
sure. and making things up. Like, so to me, that's more the pair programming is like, is, is the sanity check? Like, is this person actually telling the truth that they know how to code? Um, and also like, do I feel like I'd want to work with this person? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. That's another thing that I, I certainly took for granted um, coming from um, recruiting was just realizing that some people haven't thought through like, here's how to present the information, right? Here, here's how to present what I've done over the last couple of years. Because a lot of times when you're talking to a recruiter in that first conversation, often they don't really know the technology. And even some of the the managers you may be interviewing with, right? Other people you may be interviewing with don't know the specific technologies that, that you're using, right? So if you just say, I've built X, right? Or I've been using a lot of Ruby on Rails, they might go, okay, but, but what does that really mean, right? But I think some of the really helpful feedback I got um, when I was right out of the boot camp was um, an engineering manager who I was talking to said, if you can distill your projects, like basically what you've actually used and kind of the impact you had on those projects with the mm -hmm. technologies that you used in two sentences, he's like, then I know at least you have the capacity to do that, right? He's yeah. like, and then we can work from there. But if you just say, oh, I've been using Ruby on Rails, right? He's like, I don't know yeah. what that means. Right? That could be anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Means you could have like typed in a single command to start a new Rails app and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I, I'm curious. Um we've talked a little bit about technical interviews. I mean, in, in the past, how do you think you'd do at technical interviews? Um before we even started recording, you, you said you thought <laughs> originally that um I was gonna ask you a technical question at the end of this um the, the second yeah. half of the podcast. So I mean I commend you on <laughs> being willing to do that still. So you must feel at least somewhat okay about technical interviews. Yeah. Well, I think I would I have a very specific approach to how I break things down and how I approach the problem. So I know how to stick to that framework. As to whether I'd solve the problem, um, so again, there's so many different kinds of technical interviews. Like if the conversational technical interview, that's fine for me. If we're talking about like a leak code, you know, problem, some of these notorious things from like cracking the coding interview book, mm -hmm. if we're talking about that, I'd probably not do great. I think I could do great if I practiced those things. Sure. And that's sort of ironic because I just wrote, you know, this book on data structures and algorithms. But being able to to nail a lead code, a hard lead code problem um, in, a, in a short period of time is something you have to really practice. So this is not, not something I've practiced recently. So I'd probably do pretty poorly, I'd say, <laughs> on actually nailing the problem, which is fine by me. It's not something I'm seeking to do at mm -hmm. this time. I'm not interviewing at Google. Um, quite happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Um, I think something that that was actually really helpful. I, I think you put this out. It was kind of a, a list of like some basic um, questions that are often seen um, that yeah. was available to, to actualize graduates. And that was something that I started working my way through them. And I think it was mostly just kind of arrays, hash maps, there was some number based problems, maybe some ETL problems. And a lot of those I realized, oh, I'm getting these same 10-ish questions um, in every technical interview that I went into, right? Okay. Uh, and just learning the basics of kind of these are problems you'll commonly see was hugely helpful. And then I think everything, I would have one or two interviews that were like maybe those leak code hard or leak code medium questions that I just yeah. went, if, if I was actually talking to someone like doing this type of interview or I was coding along with them, 
we could work to something, right? Like I could show that I understood the problem and maybe they would give me enough help we could work through it. Yeah. But very often if it was just, here's a hacker rank and it was me alone, I'd go, <laughs> that's going to be tough, sure. right? Yeah, so that list of exercises, which I call algorithm ladder, it's the Trello board of these exercises. And also some, I put in some videos of me demonstrating specific concepts, including my whiteboarding approach. Um, so that, that, uh, that list of exercises is meant to be sort of like pre-leak code. Like, cause I could see like grads jumping right into leak code. And I'm like, actually, you're just not ready for this quite yet. Yeah. I mean, some are, but some aren't. I'm like, and you'll get there, you'll get there quickly. But that Trello board was to sort of like it, do these first mm-hmm. once, and they're not that hard, but once you can do them, then you'll be ready for some of those more challenging ones. A hundred percent. I would say I worked through all of those and then Great. felt much more comfortable being able to do actual leak code problems. Cause it is intimidating where you go, great. I know how to code now. And then you go out to try to do practice problems and you're like, what's going on. I don't even know what they're asking me. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that can be very stressful. Right. But I mean, the whole part of the whole goal of um, this podcast and, and actually too, to some extent, showing if you practice something, you can consistently get better at it. Right. For sure. For sure. And interviewing and, is a whole different piece than actual <laughs> programming. Right. Often. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the good news also is that not, it's not like all interviews are leak code kind mm-hmm. of interviews. I mean, I've, I've spoken to many uh, graduates of our program. And I mean, the, the variety of coding interviews is just all over the place. It could be a mere pair programming. It could be build this thing as a take-home project. It could be, I mean, people have had really simple, people have not have been in a situation where they weren't even asked technical questions, like real technical questions beyond like, what have you done? Mm-hmm. Um, or like really simple ones, like, hey, how would you... Um, get a value out of an array and it's like well if the array's variable is, is stored it's in let's say a variable called x and it's x square bracket zero would give you the first item of the array like that was it that was the interview mm-hmm. like really basic um so it's not all about you know grinding through the cracking the coding interview book and, and leak code there's so much more out there and that's why um you just keep getting more and more interviews and um even if you're not fantastic at Lico, that's fine. You're going to eventually get interviews that are easier. <laughs> yeah, I um, my first job was very much it was conversational all throughout. It was the interview process, and I think my technical interview was walking through some code I had on on GitHub. Yeah, and then at the end, he was like, "Well, I mean, you know what you're doing enough to work on these couple of projects that we have." So exactly, yeah, that's great. Sense. That's great. I think, I mean, I'm a huge soapbox um, about how I think, like, I mean, especially the leak code technical interviews, like it's a really broken system. I mean, a lot, I'm, I'm no, I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. I mean, the, the, someone put it well, is like the fact that there is a book called Cracking the Coding Interview implies that you need a special skill to do the interview. There should just be books on how to code, right? The interview should reflect like if you if if you can do this in the the interview what you do in the interview should reflect what you do on the job. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be its own subject. 
that means that means the interview is not connected to, to the job. And someone can even do well on that kind of problem, but be terrible in, in the real world. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's I, different. <laughs> I used to say, I think Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they, who are notorious for those types of yeah. like, hardcore whiteboarding interviews, they're not really trying to hire the best programmers. They're trying to hire the best programmers who will spend 50 to 200 hours studying for their interview process, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that shows you're probably going to stick around there longer than the average person who might get frustrated at a company like that who's going to say, work on X, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the good news is that, I, mean, I don't know the statistics, but many, many, many companies, maybe the majority, are not that, you know, it's not those kind of uh, notorious interviews. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you, you touched on it a little bit, but um, what, what system do you use when you're decomposing a problem or basically you come into a, an interview and someone says, great, solve this, right? I guess, yeah. can you walk me through that system? Yeah, so it's it's truly a system. Um, I'm always tweaking it a little bit. And the system isn't so much for me. It's what we use to train our grads or our students. Um, it used to be a five-point system. Now it's a six-point system. I'm still working on an acronym for it. I, I, I'm usually good with coming up with that kind of stuff, but this one is beyond me. Um, anyway, so I wrote it down. I have it in front of me. So there's six steps for... For, I mean, this is, again, there's so many different kinds of interviews, but if we're talking about like having to write an algorithm on a whiteboard, Mm -hmm. then these are the six steps. The first is to confirm the problem with the interviewer. Make sure you understand it. Um, You know, if they're asking you to write a function, you should actually write out an example of Mm -hmm. like, well, if I receive this input, then I should do the outputs. And you turn to the interviewer and it's like, is that what you had in mind? Yeah. And then you should also, beyond that, maybe this is the seventh step. See, then, then I'll never find an acronym if I had too many <laughs> steps. But if another thing is like trying to find the edge cases, like, and don't just do like, if someone says, do something with this array of numbers, don't just make your array of numbers, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Because you have to think about, well, what if my array is not sorted? Mm-hmm. What if there are negative numbers in this array, assuming the array had numbers in it? Um, trying to, and, and, and sort of working out like, well, if that was the input, then this should be the output. And again, confirming everything with the interviewer. So that's the, the first step. Uh, the second step is to find patterns. And it's, and this, depending on how, comp- this, there's more to do in this area if the problem is more complex. But I mean, I, w- I would go all out in, in doing lots of different examples of inputs like Mm -hmm. like if it was a question involving an array i would i would start writing out like five different arrays and making it there's there's two things you get with that one is what you get one is that you get very comfortable with the problem and you get very comfortable with with what they're asking you to do okay you're like nailing it like okay with this input i'm supposed to get that output with this input i'm supposed to get that output you get very comfortable with that um but also you can start to look for patterns and saying well i see every time that we have inputs like this uh the outputs are like that every time the array is sorted uh we get this kind of output or if there are negative numbers we get that kind of uh, kind of output it's it's i mean i'm describing things very vaguely because there's so many different kinds of problems but looking for patterns among the the different 
uh, kinds of inputs and outputs. And in the last chapter of my book, I actually like use concrete examples to show what I mean by that. Um, the third step is the most important step. And I've used different uh, terms for this. I used to call it visualization. I'm just calling it strategizing. And this is to me the most important step and the step that, you should, that one should spend the most time on. Mm -hmm. More than, I mean, more than any other step, even the coding step, people think like most of their time on a whiteboarding interview should be coding. And to me, that's a mistake. To me, what someone needs to do is spend most of their time on the strategy, strategizing of the problem uh, and coming up with the algorithm that, that is uh, going to solve the problem. So if we're talking about like reversing a string, and this is where you, this is where whiteboard is good. Like you know, people ask the question of like, why would you ever use, why would, why would you ever write code on a whiteboard that's so unrealistic? And the answer is, is you're right. It's unrealistic for writing code, but that's not what you want to use the whiteboard for. The whiteboard for. Use the whiteboard for what it's good for, which is drawing visualizations and saying, if I'm going to reverse a string, then here are my, uh, here's my characters. And I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to start, using arrows and, and drawing things and saying, well, if I use a loop, then I can do this. And then mm -hmm. I'll, you know, I'll start with the empty string and whatever, or what if I start from the end of the string and work backwards and I, and you start coming up with the strategy. Um, and even along with that, you can write simple one-liners. Like if you're deciding like what loop you're going to use, you're saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use a loop that starts from the end of, of the string. So how do I write that out in code? You'll write a one-liner like while whatever, you know, yeah. and, you know, X is greater than or blah, 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 blah. And you can write that out as a, I mean, now we're getting into more into like pseudocode, but like to me, it's like when you, if I'm, when I write this out, it looks like a beautiful mind kind of thing where I have like <laughs> that whole, so to me, like that's where someone's to spend the most of their time. Once you do that and you're clear on what the algorithm is, then writing the code goes so fast mm -hmm. then you just then it's just a matter of recalling the right syntax and just writing it out um and then so those are those are the, you know that's how i break down a problem the final two steps like for the interview are to then check your work mm -hmm. which the way you do that is to pretend you're like the the computer and you're parsing every line by line uh of the code and you can like write on the side what the value of every variable is at a given yeah. moment in time like if you're working through a loop then you're saying okay at this point x is one and then the next time okay now you cross it out you know rub it out and x is two again that's what a whiteboard is good for and you check your work and make sure that by the end um the output of that function is what you had hoped it would be mm -hmm. and the final step is just you know what i call refactor we just take a step back and look at what you've done and say like is this the most efficient way of doing it being able to express, you know, you know, if, if you understand big O notation, I guess I'll describe in my book. Um, it, big O notation is really easy, actually, if if you just if it's explained to you well. So I recommend for people who, who want to know about big O notation to to check out that to check out my book. I think then, I told you I looked at big O a thousand times trying to understand it well, and then I read your book and it actually finally clicked which is <laughs> great very useful because i was like I, I don't understand why i don't get this thing um but yeah, i think it's not explained well very often <laughs> yeah i think a lot of these things aren't explained well um but they're not they're not really complex concepts so being able to express like okay i've done this algorithm 
it looks like it's running, you know, O of N squared. And then you can try to think, hmm, is there a way I can do this better? If you could think of a, a better way, you can start describing that to the interviewer, depending how much time there is, they'll let you, you know, try to implement that. Mm -hmm. um, and even if not, just being able to express like, okay, this is, this is what it is. This is my algorithm. This is, you know, it's big O runtime or whatever, trying to add space complexity or whatever. Um, being able to express that is a big deal. And, and if you can improve it or, or make the code, you know, more elegant, it's another thing someone could, could try to do. Sorry, I went on a, that was a bit, that was a long ramble, but that's like a thing you asked me a question of like, where I actually have a system for. Yeah. <laughs> so. so just, just to confirm, it's confirming the problem with the interviewer. It's basically to ensure you actually understand that. And then maybe adding some edge cases um, yeah. uh, to that problem, finding the patterns, basically using as many examples of like inputs and outputs as possible. So you actually get comfortable with the problem more yeah. than just understanding it. Yeah. And then strategizing, which is, it sounds like almost includes pseudocode to some extent, but basically what are you going to use to solve this problem, right? So you're not trying to think through that while you're actually writing the code, right? Exactly. You, it's impossible to develop an, not impossible, but it's very hard to, to develop an algorithm and write the code for it simultaneously. Yeah. It's like asking someone to write two different things with each other hand at the same time. Yeah. Um, so like develop, yeah, strategize, develop the algorithm. What is the algorithm? It's going to be a loop. It's going to be a loop within a loop, whatever it is. It's going to, I'm going to use a hash table to, to store this. And I'm going to then use the loop and store it. To, like just describe, develop what the algorithm is. Yeah, sorry, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, fourth, check your work uh, to make sure, you know, what, what you're trying to do is actually happening, right? Yeah, um, or fourth then, is coding, actually write the code. Co actually coding, right. Yeah. I knew I missed one. Yeah. The, that one, the little one, actually write the code. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then, then check your work and then refactor. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, great. Well, I, I wrote them all down. So that's what we're, I'm going to use when we go to do the technical um, to make okay. sure. I'm, I think I use it's a close, close-ish. I would say maybe a modified version. I would say I, I try to um, decompose for the most part. And then I, similarly to the strategize, I don't think I would have put it in that term but i do think that's what i'm trying to do and it might make more sense for me in the future to actually think of spending more time on that section because usually i'll say i'm going to solve this using x right and then kind of sketch out what i'm going to do and then try to go into it right um, and everyone has to know themselves and you know i can't tell everyone the best way to think like someone knows how they think better than i do like everyone knows themselves um, so I can't say that these are absolute hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, I do see that people do much better in the mock interviews I give when they, when they pause to strategize. And I will also like, say like, most people think they're done strategizing and they're ready to move on to the code and 99% of the time they're not. Um, cause I already see, I already see where they're going to fall flat. Sure. And I always, I'd say, Hey, they start writing code or like deaf, whatever. I'm like, actually uh why don't you strategize further and then i'll start prodding them a little bit i'm like well what yeah. are you gonna do what are you gonna do when it gets to the end of the loop or whatever or like if i you know whatever whatever it is i'm seeing um or like what kind of loop are you gonna use um anyway go ahead i try to ask a lot of does that make sense to you after <laughs> i present kind of what i'm gonna do and i mean most people will say either yeah that's what i would do or 
uh, maybe try this once in a while <laughs> you get you know um just the stone wall that, that doesn't say anything but those know, are the worst yeah yeah it's tough but at least you know it's worth asking right for sure for sure i definitely recommend trying to turning these things into a conversation i can talk more about that um, yeah that's what I was going to ask. I mean, um, this is a great system and, and um, I, I think hugely important for people, especially what's the, is it the Mike Tyson quote is like, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people don't walk into interviews with a plan. I just I think it is, is important to have some type of system in place because I mean, I think I've had maybe one person on um, the the show so far who was like, I just feel very comfortable in technicals. I love whiteboarding. And like most other people don't love that and has a learned skill set. And if you at least have something in place, um, so when you see that problem, you know, I don't know how to solve this off the top of my head. Great. Now what do I need to do? Right? Like, let's actually have a plan instead of just going into like scared, terrified mode. Because I think that's where it's easy to get trapped in an interview. Yeah, yeah. And the two things I'd add besides my official six point system um, is to, to make it a conversation. Um, this isn't like your final exam in high school. This is, this is them also trying to get to know you. And you'll seem really stiff. if You're just like silent and writing. So there's, there's, I mean, besides making it a conversation, because like engage them and, and try to talk to them um you can you can it, it doesn't you can ask for some feedback like you said in the middle like does this make sense is this mm -hmm. um but also definitely definitely talk your way through your thought process the yeah. entire time like you should not be silent um even like even if you feel you're at a brick wall then just explain the brick wall explain mm -hmm. this is why I'm stuck because I realize that if I whatever if when I when I move forward in the loop then and I'm adding the characters to the string I end up with the same string again instead of it being in reverse and just mm -hmm. talk it through and they're like hmm well maybe if I do let's just keep talking um which is hard it's hard to do it's also like trying to do things at once think think and talk at the same time you're a lot of pause but um I would say talk through your thought process because anyway, that's the main thing they want to see mm -hmm. for in many of these cases, it's that they're not maybe at Google, it's different, but in many interviews, they're not looking. It's not a matter of you solving the problem. It's not a binary thing. Like if you solve the problem, you get the job. And if you don't solve the problem, you don't get the job. They're trying to learn about you know who you are, see how you think. Um, and you can, you can demonstrate all those things by talking through your thought process, even if you don't nail the actual problem and don't solve it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, do you have any other advice or tips for engineers um, who are in technical interviews or maybe preparing for technical interviews? Yeah, I'd say do mock interviews with other people, ask people to mock interview. I know there's these services. I can't speak to them. I haven't tried them out. There's something called Pramp. I know that everyone's mm -hmm. talking about an online service where I think there's some free versions where you can actually get a live random developer to interview you. Um, you know, even though the, the actual content of interview that you might get on there is different than what you have in real life, but at least you get the feel of what it's like to code while you're nervous. 
yeah right while you're in front of a stranger um definitely uh definitely uh do some mock interviews beforehand yeah skilled is another one um i, I know the founder yeah. there um they they have a great service and i think they package in like um doing a resume as well and then also they'll give mm -hmm. you like here's the feedback on your mock interview and what you should improve on before i think they have like packages to do a couple mock interviews yeah and if, if you can't find that or can't afford something like that i know there's plenty of people especially in smaller tech communities right like in chicago there's a there's a tech slack um i'm sure if you post it on there hey i'm looking to do a mock interview to prepare for prepare for interviews probably be people who would be happy to to do mock interviews with you right because they're kind yeah. of fun if you're the interviewer right like that and then you get to know someone a little bit too um so i'm sure, sure. people would be willing to do that yeah yeah 100 percent um, it would do you have the same advice or maybe different advice for early career engineers? I would say all of the above. I'd add a few more points, especially for early career engineers. Um, know that you're going to get the job eventually. You just need to stay persistent. Um, know in advance that you're going to bomb some interviews. It's not like if, but it's when you will bomb interviews know that that's totally normal and part of the process because many people can think they bombed the, the first interview and they're like i'm a bad programmer i never realized that i thought i was pretty good and now i realize i'm bad um that you're not bad you're not a bad programmer that's part of the process you'll bomb an interview i would bomb interviews um on data structures and algorithms even though i wrote a book on it um that's just part of the process um if you keep on getting more and more interviews, you'll eventually get that job. I mean, you'll also get better at interviewing, right? You'll also increase your odds at getting an easier interview because there's so many different types of interviews. You'll eventually get it. You'll eventually do it. Don't ever um, think that an interview reflects on your skill. It really doesn't. Um, and eventually you'll find the right fit. Yeah, I mean, the whole premise of this show is that Interviewing one is hard and then two, every company interviews differently, right? So that's for sure. You could run into who knows what um at any point in your career, especially early career, I do feel like the variance was was really high of like, oh, they want me to reverse a string. That's it. Versus like, oh, they want me to code in a language I don't know and a problem that's probably much too difficult for me. Like those interviews could happen in the same week or sometimes even the same day, which definitely is a roller coaster of emotions yeah yeah i mean when i was interviewing I, I encountered all different types of interviews and like i said when i speak to actualized grads i hear like wildly different experiences you know sure. from like like i said like how do you use an array to like develop this maze algorithm like it's like <laughs> it's all over the place oh yeah i had a company that said we want you to get as close to a fully functional facebook as possible i'm like that's that was the take home and i was like i don't have 20 hours 40 yeah. hours to do this i mean it just so happens that facebook has well like a, a couple thousand programmers <laughs> yeah just yeah. just a crazy so, oh the, my other um tip for people is especially early career people's write down the problems that you get because I, I did start seeing trends over and over again and the most frustrating frustrated i think i ever was interviewing was when i had been asked a problem one week and then the next week got 
basically the exact same problem, maybe just slightly different. And I hadn't figured out how to solve it in between. Yeah. And then I was very frustrated where I went, oh, I could have learned how to solve that type of problem. So right. that's something I advise people to do just so they, you'll start to see trends very often. Yeah, I mean, I laughed so hard when um, a grad described to me the interview they had and it was to do fizz buzz, but it was a cleverly or not so cleverly disguised fizz buzz. It was like, you know, if the number is divisible by three, yeah. right, apple. And if it's this like five at orange, I'm like, let's fizz buzz. He's like, I know, I aced it. <laughs> it's funny. My first technical was um, the guy goes, so you do you know? Are you do you understand fizz buzz? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, then code it. And I was like, all right. And then the oh. next question was basically the same thing, um, but also finding if it was a multiple of something else. And I was like, okay, this was fun. Yeah. Uh, well, before we move on, I mean, any interviewing horror stories that you have, um, maybe personally when you were um, at the whiteboard or on the other side of the table that you're willing to share? Sure. Um, you know, looking back, it wasn't a horror story, but at the time it felt like one. Um, this was uh, an interview I had where I was interviewing for a developer position. Mm -hmm. um, it was on Google Hangouts. This was pre-Zoom. I was in like the basement in my home and it was three faces interviewing me, three little boxes. And then there was like a Google doc on top that had some of these like reverse the string kind of problems. I believe reverse the string was actually the first one. Um, I also at the time knew nothing about technical interviewing. Like this was my position after some internships where I never had to go through that. Um, so I didn't even know like this was a thing. I didn't know, I never heard of being asked to reverse, reverse a string. You know, to me, it's so obvious. I know so much about this now. That, um, it's so funny to me that I didn't at the time. And I walked in, right into this interview. And so, and I, I, I'm the type of person who gets nervous and, and I can easily freeze up um, in these kinds of things. So it was like reverse a string, which isn't that hard, but I started to freeze up. I started like typing. And I see like everyone moving in, um, which is just so intimidating. Cause like you're seeing your code and their faces simultaneously and you're watching their sweat, slight facial reactions and twitches to like every character and keystroke you do. And like, at some point I'm like backspacing and I see them frowning and I'm like, it was, it was, <laughs> it was so, uh, the nice thing about real whiteboarding is that you're not facing <laughs> their faces while you're you're working at it but on, on google hangouts you're seeing their faces while you're if you ever if you do a remote thing like that put their faces away like hide them so you don't see their facial reaction as you're doing it when i got to like the third problem which is i think the most complex one um like i, I really started to freeze up and i was just i was just the whole the whole thing was so intimidating to me and um and i started saying to myself like my self-talk was really negative i'm like you know what jay you're in the comfort of your own home and they're intruding on you they have no right to intrude <laughs> on you like this just unplug your computer just unplug it <laughs> like 
they weren't even part of the company per se. They were like an outsourced thing in Texas who was they used for the interview. I'm like, they have no right to intrude on me like this. Just just unplug the computer. But thankfully I didn't do that. I took a deep breath and just went on. And even though I felt like I didn't do a good job in the interview, which I think is true. I think I did like just okay. I actually got the job and I took it. <laughs> so you well, never there know. You go. <laughs> never know. So in 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 the end, it wasn't a horror story, but at the time, it was ooh, sweating bullets. That's uh, that's great. I think many people can relate. I I forgot how to um, make a function in my first technical. That the same one I was mentioning, the fizzbuzz. I was like, easy. I know how to do fizzbuzz. And then I was like, I don't know how to create a function. Like I I literally can't do this right now. So yeah. It, easy to freeze up and uh so easy to freeze up i mean someone can ask me the alphabet i mean i'll probably get that but some really easy questions if you freeze up it's hard to do even the easy things so that's why again going on more interviews will help you not freeze up because you'll get used to the feeling of what it's like to to be in that position thank you so much for listening If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcasting app at The Professional Technical Interviewee. I want to thank my guest and my wonderful editor and producer, Dustin Bays. If you're interested in sharing your technical interview advice and being on the show, please reach out at dorsettaylordev at gmail.com. As a reminder, this interview has two parts. You can find the second half, which is the live technical interview, on YouTube at The Professional Technical Interviewee. The link will be in the show notes. Until next time, keep practicing.